to the weekly review uh it's roman doing this a day early today it's thursday december 17th 2015 i'll be out of town for a little bit so wanted to get this uh one in before i head out and so there's actually been some some, some positive news which is which is rare certainly so i wanted to get to that also some ugh, not so great news uh which is also fair to get to and i'll start off with a rant because i haven't ranted for a while and it's good to have a a soapbox, as it were, just to rant, and it's just about people taking up space and uh, how frustrating that is. And uh, to be authentic and to speak up for oneself is very difficult in this world, and it's not easy. And perhaps if it were easier, we wouldn't be in the mess that we're in. And I think part of the reason that we're in the mess that we're in, and that would be the systems that are in place that keep people oppressed and keep people fighting one another, is because certain people aren't challenged. And it's very difficult to challenge uh, some people. That could either involve speaking up or um, perhaps doing something more physical, maybe. Um, but even, it, it just it's difficult at times uh, the last few days. Uh, and this is something I kind of experience on a daily basis, just hearing uh, whether it's, it's words or ideas that are really like hurtful and problematic. And uh, sometimes people's response to that when you call them out on it is uh, they say, oh, you're too, def- you're, so, you're too defensive or you're too sensitive instead of actually saying, hey, let's actually talk about this and so I can understand where you're coming from. No, quite often it's like people immediately uh, just want to deny any responsibility and that's really frustrating. And I think that's it's part of human nature. I certainly am not, uh, I can't necessarily say that I haven't done that in my, my time here on earth. And I think it's just, it's really commonplace and it's what a lot of us do. And it's uncomfortable to be called out on privilege and it's uncomfortable just to be called out in general. And so I understand people getting defensive. It's just that things aren't gonna change until people actually want to uh, have a discussion. And then also sometimes it's really frustrating and tiring to have that discussion, even people are willing to listen. Because a lot of times people aren't willing to listen. And a lot of times in the past 24 hours, I've just had to walk away and from a conversation. I just had to be like, nope, I'm just not even going to, I'm not even going to engage because I just can't even stand to be here right now. And that's kind of where I'm at right, right now. And I have a feeling I'm not alone in that. Just the idea. And sometimes people don't even notice it. You just want to walk away like, oh, maybe that's socially awkward or not acceptable. Uh, But I do believe in protecting oneself. And also 
sometimes if I stay in a situation, I'm going to maybe say something or do something that I might regret, but that might be harmful to somebody else. So that's why I tend to leave situations. Although sometimes uh, it's kind of difficult to, because sometimes maybe you're sitting in a place and you can't, you don't have easy access to the exit. That's happened to me quite a bit. Uh, in certain situations, depending on the seating, you might be like, oh my gosh, I need to get out of here. And uh, it, it might be too much trouble just to actually leave. Um, so that, that happens as well. And I thought that was just worth talking about. And I feel a lot better because I know I'm not alone in that. And the fact that it's happened to me less than, uh, well, less, yeah, less, it has been at least twice in the past 24 hours, less than 24 hours, uh, says a lot, I think. And I am someone who I feel I'm definitely very privileged in a lot of ways. So if I'm experiencing this discomfort, uh, imagine what's happening for everyone else. <sighs> so... I guess we'll get started with the news. Uh, yes. So as promised, um, we have some positive news stories. We'll maybe do like a bookend of uh, positive and then some ugh, in the middle. And, you know, but there's also there's some great quotes from Rod Sterling. I was I don't I'm pretty non-materialistic and I don't have too many things, but I still like to like get rid of things. And there's a few very few material items overall in the grand scheme of things as, as far as materialistic Americanism. Americanism? That's not a word. Maybe it is. No. Anyway, in our culture, there's very much this emphasis on buying and things and keeping things as if, like, the things that we have are quote-unquote own, although ownership is a whole idea that can be deconstructed, uh, somehow makes us better people or makes us uh, better than others or it somehow is supposed to, like, represent us or stand a lot work. It's, uh... Somehow supposed to substitute, I guess, our our inner being, or perhaps our actions, and I don't really disagree. I don't dis. I don't. I don't agree with that. I don't know why I said disagree, but anyway. So I guess maybe the idea is like what we do choose to hold on to. So long story short, I went to the Rod Sterling Convention in L.A. Oh my goodness, a year and a half ago, two years ago, one year ago. I don't. Keep, I can't keep track anymore. 2013. That's it. So yeah. Geez, two years ago. And there's quotes, uh, Rod Sterling quotes on right-wing extremism um, from the Rod Sterling papers at the Wisconsin Historical Society. Maybe I'll start off with that because I have it in my hands right now. So I'll start off with that. And then I'll go into some super great news. I, I don't, this is like not a typical news program where sometimes on the news it's like, find out what in your kitchen might kill you. And it could be, of course, anything. Um, where it's like you have to keep on listening or keep on watching so they can put in more advertisements. I don't have, we don't have advertisements here. We just don't. And I do this program because I feel I have a duty to, and uh, why not? And there's uh, a lack of truth and um, a lack of transparency and a lack of people. And also, if you're murdered by police or murdered by someone else, you don't have a chance to tell your side of the story. So the very least those of us who are living can do is uh, try to speak up for those whose lives have been taken from them. So that's part of the, it's just a general, it's an ongoing theme. Obviously, it doesn't have to be that specific. Um, however, that's what happens a lot. And that's what's happening right now. It happens here in the city. It's not even, oh, it's happening elsewhere. It's happening right here in the city. So people need to be held accountable. So we'll get into that. We'll get into that. But point being, <sighs> I was going to start with a positive story. But you know what? We'll, we'll get to that after I read these quotes, which are haunting. And uh, they're here. My point being, non-materialistic, I was going through some papers and I found this uh, 
handout I got at the Rod Serling convention, which was awesome. And I thought that was really important and worth sharing. And also just to see that the these ideas from like the 1960s are very still uh, applicable to what's going on today in the world. So uh, and that'll be going into another story that I'll read a little bit later. But the, f the first story I was going to get to eventually was that the supervisors, the Board of Supervisors here in San Francisco unanimously voted to not build a new jail in San Francisco, which is great news and surprising at that. I'm definitely a cynic. I'm a hopeful cynic. I'm optimistic cynic, but still a cynic nonetheless. Maybe I'm naive. Um, the fact that they all decided not to build a new jail is really great news for many, many, many people, and that makes me very hopeful. So we're we'll getting into, into that with some quotes from David Campos and London Breed, and that's just um, some really good news. So starting off with uh, Rod Serling quotes on right-wing extremism from the Rod Serling papers at the Wisconsin Historical Society. Sending the extremists to the cornfield, Rod Serling's Crusade Against Radical Conservatism by Mark Bolton, and this is from uh, Westminster College. Uh, and here are some quotes here. Bias, hate, inequality are specters that have haunted us in other times. What is appallingly different in this 1964 year of our Lord is the strange and apparent respectability which somehow, clothes, which somehow clothes these forces of discrimination and intolerance. Where once a German-American bund, a silver shirt, a William Dudley Pelly, a Gerald L. K. Smith were harmless, insane, and discontinued microbes, the things they believed in, the goals they sought, the causes they espoused, are now integral parts of the John Birch Society, the White Citizens Council, and, if you will forgive me, God help us, a strong element of the Republican Party. We are now witness to an overt and predatory attempt to make the kind of insanity a part of the government of the United States. So this quote's from 1964. And if anything, uh, it's definitely gotten even worse. So it definitely was uh, seeing into the future, uh, almost unfortunately uh, for us. Another quote, uh, if you scratch the surface of this new respectability, he continued in his speech, if you dig down past the rhetoric, past the apology, past the forensic that is draped with the American flag, sloganed with the talk of Bible and Constitution, what you unearth is a poison and a bile that we thought died in the ashes of Berlin in 1945. We are in mortal combat with forces not far removed from the swastika and the brown shirt. Moving onwards, prejudice, for example, always comes out like a tract in my writing. It's a thing I abhor most in the world. I find it warping, corroding, and evil. And too often, when I go after it with both hands, what I've wrought is not entertainment, but pamphleteering. I hear that. Onwards. If the signs, obvious and profuse, on the streets of Dallas that black morning which read, Wanted for Treason, JFK, are exemplary of that spirit, we had best carefully re-examine what dormant hatred, bitterness, and prejudices can be conjured up by these men of honor. And I'll do one more, and then we'll get into the news, and then I'll come back to a few more of these. Democracy, by its nature, must not only uh, countenance differences of opinions, but welcome them. We have need in this country for an enlightened, watchful, and articulate opposition. 
We have no need for semi-secret societies who are absolute, dictatorial, and would substitute a rule of law and reason with an indiscriminate assault on the institutions of this republic that should and must be held sacrosanct. It was for this principle that a martyred young president laid down his life, the voices of hatred, discord, and divisiveness nonwithstanding. So, 1964, let's see, that's the right, 36 plus uh, 15, that's 51 years ago. Um, yeah, so 51 years ago, and uh, a lot of this is still still true it's all still true actually and if anything i think it's just become to see the light more and i don't know how much of that is just due to more with uh the polar opposites you know polarization uh maybe more truth is coming out because more people have are able to communicate you know through online uh online resources or, or what have you um to share more information so less things can remain hidden it's it's uh, it's unclear but these these are still these things are still very true and if anything i find it very validating and that's another reason i do the show is uh just to find the the validation and to hopefully other folks can also find validation in the anger and feelings of unjustness that often the media and uh even entertainment industry to an extent well to a big extent uh a lot of it a lot of the whether it's through TV or th things that are created, a lot of the time it's as a distraction. There's definitely, don't get me wrong, I, I love you know watching movies and I love to zone out and there's some work out there that's incredible and is intelligent and has emotional resonance and says something and is political, um, but that's not the majority, I think that's safe to say. I think it's safe to say that the majority of the quote unquote work that's out there and whether that be stories or things on the internet, just things to focus on um, don't really reflect back what society is. A lot of it's uh, smoke and mirrors and a lot of putting other people down, which I don't like, especially in comedy. I mean, the idea of comedy, I say this all the time, is to, to punch up, you know, the jester, you know, do you want to ideally take down the king, right? Um, and it's also just to have a voice and to kind of poke fun at... Uh, at the things that ordinarily we don't know how else to handle or how to combat. And when folks are in the position to be on stage and they end up, I don't know, pushing around other marginalized folks, that makes me really sick. And that goes back to the idea of uh, walking out of a room. And I understand you can't really change the conversation if you leave, um, but understand just how uncomfortable uh, th situations can be and just how I think it's really disrespectful um, but if I don't call people out on it then nothing's going to change so I guess it's up to me to, to stick around and to have these conversations so there's that uh, I got myself down it was bound to happen that's okay we're going to go with some positive news to cheer me up and cheer up you too if you actually care about the world and hopefully you do so this is some positive news and I'm going to read from a couple of board of supervisors people on the Board of Supervisors who voted unanimously to stop a jail being built in San Francisco, which is great. I'm all about taking down these systems, oppressive systems. I'm against mass incarceration. I'm a prison abolitionist. 
and the you know the best way to first thing you got to do is you got to stop it from happening and stop it from continuing to happen before we can you know tear these institutions down although i'd say let's get to it even faster than that but this is great this is so great. So London Breed um, wrote on uh, her Facebook, as a supervisor and a member of the city's capital planning committee, I have been working on the issues of a new jail all year. Professionally, this is an issue I take very seriously, but honestly, it's personal to me. My brother spent years in 850 Bryant. This was never an issue I could take lightly. 850 Bryant needs to come down, but more than a building, we need to tear down the system of mass incarceration it represents. I'm not going to support another standalone jail to continue locking up African Americans and Latinos in the city. Today, I made a series of motions to reject the $300 million jail, and the board unanimously supported me! Then, I introduced a resolution urging the Director of Public Health and the Sheriff to convene a working group to plan for the permanent closure of county jails 3 and 4 and for investments in new mental health facilities and current jail uh, retrofits needed to uphold public safety and better serve at-risk individuals. We can do better. We will do better. Ah. Oh. Wow, an elected official doing the right thing. I am smiling right now. It's, oh, that's so refreshing. That's good. That's really good. That's really good. And uh, David Campos adds, today was a historic vote for San Francisco and for California. The San Francisco Board of Supervisors just unanimously voted to reject uh, the proposed uh, two... He says $240 million uh, jail project. The board also made a commitment to invest in expanding alternatives to incarceration and community-based mental health programs rather than continue investing in a system that we know to be harmful and ineffective. That makes me super happy to hear. Ah. Uh. So, with that being said, I'm going to play some songs. There's a theme today on the show, there always is, and that's uh, people in positions of power who abuse their authority and make life shitty for everyone else. Um, some of these people are police officers. They're law enforcement. So, uh, some of the songs we'll be playing today will be dealing with uh, police brutality. So, folks who can eloquently express that better than I. So, this is a song from a band called The Violators. They're a, a British punk band. Um, this is from the early 80s, uh, and this is called Summer of 81. And...
and welcome back. That was a Violators with Summer of 81. Open up the show with a cover of The Clash's Know Your Rights. That was Pearl Jam. Uh, know Your Rights is a great song. And that was a nice cover I found. Anyway, moving onwards. So we got some news here. And the other day, uh, I went to the DMV, uh, which has to, it doesn't have to happen, I guess. But while living in the state, you know, one has to, doesn't have to, but... Uh, have identification cards and whatnot. So anyway, I got my driver's license renewed, which might come as a shock to anyone who knows me even remotely well, because I haven't driven in over 10 years. I have a long-standing uh, anger towards uh, the automobile industry, and I also feel like cars have been forced upon consumers and people in our, our country. We don't need more drivers. That's what I'm saying. We don't need more drivers, and if more um, money and energy and time had been put into public transportation and in bicycling, um, there wouldn't be the need for so many people to drive. And I think there's still not the need for people to drive. However, uh, the way the automobile industry has worked, it's they've made it so that it's one of the main modes of transportation and it's a huge industry and it's bad for the environment uh the auto workers i know haven't been treated well there's a whole line long line and it's also just keeps people separate if you've if you ever hitchhiked and you uh you've been on the side of the road and you see all these cars passing by and see how many people are driving alone Ooh, that's it's it's that says something so anyway long story short Got my driver's license renewed. I only had to take the test uh, twice. Just so they've, it's like not a written test. It's on a computer nowadays. Back when I took it, the last time I took it was in oh 1997 or 1998. It was a while ago. Things have changed. Things have changed. Um, so interesting enough. One thing is that they have it. So of course, back when you take the written test, you you fill it out and then you turn it in and you find out how you did. Now with the automated test on the computer, they tell you right when you get a question wrong, which I feel can be a little bit unsettling for folks who might get nervous taking tests. However, long story short, passed, uh, taken it after the second time, got it, which was great. And uh, however, what took more time and was more frustrating was actually filling out the paperwork and the bureaucracy behind it. And that, of course, had to go back to the gender question. Now, one state says I'm male, one state says I'm female, and I could change it here. You can guess which 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 states. Uh, I think it's just hilarious and just shows how ridiculous it is that uh, people who don't know me have somehow have some authority over which box I should, you know, check off and also that I would need to bring in a note. And I think, I mean, things are definitely getting better. Um, I know in California now you no longer have to have surgery in order to uh, prove, you know, whatever gender you, 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 you are, say you are. Um, however, I just am all for eliminating boxes altogether. So you don't have to check off a gender. It doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter at all. And I, it of course goes back to the whole prison industrial complex because that's a thing too, where people are separated by, by sex and, uh, just the idea of separating people into two groups, I think is really wrong. And anyway, so I had to always have these conversations with people at the DMV, people who work there, and some are friendlier than others. And it usually ends with me saying, I'm not angry at you. I'm just frustrated with the system, which I feel I'm, I'm trying to take that approach at, in most aspects of my life because I do get frustrated. I do get angry. And there's lots to be angry about. There really is. If you're paying attention, there's a hell of a lot to be angry about. However, I know if I use that anger or... Um, express it towards individuals for the most part you know we're all part of the system and we're all 
many people are just being oppressed in multiple ways. And if I end up pushing people around in my life or saying something, you know, even like all these microaggressions, that's not going to, if I, someone pushes me around, I know I'm much more likely to push someone else around. And if I feel that anger in me, I need to learn how to deal with this. I don't know how this, this radio show became a uh, public therapy hour, but I'm feeling that a lot of what I'm saying rings true with a lot of people, so I'm going to continue talking. Point being is that uh, if I take it out on an individual, unless that person is actively harming me um, and intentionally, actively and intentionally harming me, uh, that's not going to help any. So really just wanting to take my anger and focus it on the systems that are in place and try to dismantle the systems that are in place and hope to build, uh, I mean, do we even need new systems at all? That's the question. However, uh, what, what else will be in place if we do dismantle these really, if and when we dismantle these problematic systems? And we're just like, I mean, part of capitalism is that we end up, or any system we end up engaging in we're part of the problem. I'm part of the problem by simply engaging in it. Even if I am like opposed to it, even if I think it's really upsetting, I'm still just as responsible for causing harm. I mean that you know if you buy something, uh, it depends on you know where does that where is that money going, and is it going to the people who? It's uh, one needs to look at the where the products are being built and how the workers are being treated. That's part of it, um, certainly. And also, where else could that money be going? It's like just, ugh, it's ugh, not, not great. So anyway, uh, I feel responsible, and if, as long as I live in this culture, in this country, and partake in capitalism, although a lot of folks have worked to live off grid, and then sometimes they're raided by the cops, etc., etc. There are better ways of living. There are better ways of being. I think we all know that. What was my point? The DMV was my point. Oh yeah. So I had more arguments about just filling out the the gender box and how silly that was and wanting to not, wanting not to um, take out my anger on a person uh, and instead wanting to use that anger towards dismantling the system. All right. Speaking of which, let's dismantle the system, shall we? So it should come as no surprise that uh, two of the officers who were involved with the shooting of Mario Woods have a history of using excessive force. And I'm curious, um, you know, okay, so two-fifths, that's like 40%. Um, I would say that's a safe bet for people, certain people in in law enforcement. I mean, prove me wrong. Prove me wrong and... uh, cops come forward everyone's always talking about the good cops and so we're all there where are all those whistleblower cops out there then if people really believe that the majority are good then um i'd like to see them that's all i don't think that's asking for too much call out your call out your comrades who are using excessive force call them out and stop them let's do that then so oh that's how i got to the story so anyway I uh, went in to take the test, and I didn't know how many questions there were because it was on a, on a screen. And then I got four wrong. I didn't know about how many, but I was doing well. And then I got four wrong, and then after the fourth, it was like, you have failed the test. And I was like, okay. So I went up to the person working at the DMV, and she's like, oh, you can come back in 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. And she gave me a booklet to review the specifics because in case I'm pulling a tractor trailer, I need to know how fast I should go, which I don't ever see myself doing. Anyway, long story short, I went out, and there was an examiner uh, the San Francisco Examiner newspaper holder, and on the headline, a huge headline on the front page, was just this, uh, Mario Woods killing two of five officers involved previously accused of excessive force. 
and the fact that a mainstream media news outlet, that the newspaper um, was covering it and they were talking about it, I thought was good news. It's the fact that this has been a part of our history is, of course, terrible news. However, <coughs> it being brought to light and people actually commenting on it and looking into the history of it and perhaps holding these people accountable so perhaps this will never happen again, ideally, uh, is a good thing. So that's, that's where I found out about this, looking at the newspaper of all places. Okay, uh, two of the five San Francisco police officers involved in the fatal shooting of Mario Woods earlier this month have allegedly used excessive force in the past, according to court records. Nicholas Cuevas, one of the officers who opened fire at Woods, allegedly shot two men in the back in 2009. Charles August, another officer involved in Woods' killing, is the subject of a federal rights, federal civil rights case for allegedly beating a man in the Bayview until... His ankle broke in 2013. Woods 26 was armed with a kitchen knife that he allegedly used in a nearby stabbing when officers found him in the Bayview. Videos appeared to show Woods trying to walk away from the officers when they fired at him, leaving his body with some 20 gunshot wounds, and I've heard up to 30, uh, the 30 casings on the ground. Uh, attorneys for his family said, the names of the five officers who fired their guns in the December 2nd shooting were released on Friday in a case that has garnered public outrage and pulled San Francisco police practices into the national debate about police brutality. The other officers who shot at Woods were identified as Winston Cito, Antonio Santos, and Scott Phillips, police said. Cito once raised his gun at a suspect <coughs> but didn't fire during an officer-involved shooting, Phillips has been with the department for less than a year. Santos graduated from the police academy around June 2008, while Phillips joined the department in January. It is unclear who opened, their, who opened fire first and which officers hit Woods. More details into the police shooting will emerge at the close of the three separate investigations. And Nicholas Cuevas allegedly fired his gun at three men in 2009 when he was an Antioch police officer, hitting two of them in the back, according to a federal lawsuit, which is still pending in court. Cuevas appears to have joined the department in 2011 as a lateral hire from Antioch. He was paid $166,799 in 2014. <sighs> Fuck. You get paid to be a murderer here. Uh, Barry White and Demetrius Anderson allege in a 2011 federal civil rights lawsuit that Cuevas tried to kill them and another man, Gilbert Longsworth, in December of 2009. White has since been charged with the murder of two men in a San Francisco jewelry store in 2013. The lawsuit alleges Cuevas fired his weapon at the three men as they sat in a car with their hands in the air. Officer Nicholas Cuevas of the Antioch Police Department tried to brutally murder three African-American men, alleges the suit. The three men had come from a party where they had had an altercation at the door when several partygoers came um, after the trio. Longsworth showed them a gun, which he put on the dashboard. After leaving the area and getting lost, an identified car pulled up behind them and shined a light into their car. No sirens were turned on, and the officer, uh, off, off, and the driver, Officer Cuevas, did not identify himself as a police officer, said the suit, but he did tell the three to put their hands up. The trio complied, and then Cuevas allegedly opened fire. 
Fearing for their lives and believing they were about to be killed in cold blood, plaintiffs and Mr. Longsworth exited the vehicle and started running, said the suit. As White, as White ran, he was struck in the back with a bullet believed to have been fired by Cuevas, alleges the suit. After a brief pursuit, Anderson was caught soon after, and while on the ground, he was allegedly beaten by officers on the scene. While the three escaped with their lives, noted the suit, White was shot in the back and left for dead in a pool of blood, and Anderson narrowly escaped death when a bullet pierced the peak of his cap. Longsworth was shot in the back as well. White was charged by the Contra Costa District Attorney's Office with unidentified criminal charges in 2010, according to the suit. Anderson was charged that same year with an unspecified misdemeanor, said the suit. Cuevas was also involved in detaining a man armed with a sword, according to the San Francisco Police Officers Association Journal from October. The incident occurred around midnight in the Bayview after police got a call from parents of a young man stating their son was trying to kill them with a sword. The suspect had already critically injured his mother and was chasing after his father. Cuevas arrived along with five other officers and were able to find the suspect and detain him. <coughs> the son admitted trying to kill his parents. Next, uh, Charles August. Several months ago, August helped identify and arrest several suspects who robbed a credit union in Fairfield while heavily armed and terrorized the employees, according to last month's Police Union Journal. The Fairfield Police Chief later thanked him and other San Francisco police officers for their work. August joined, and I'm just going to make a comment here that uh, the folks... Uh, it's interesting. It's like this: the, you're hearing about this from the the police journal, who, of course, is going to be biased and uh, about the, the sides of the story. And I, I won't say I'm not biased because certainly I do have my own biases, and that's to hold people in positions of power to a higher standard. All right, going to continue with this. Uh, August joined the police force around October 2008 when he graduated from the 217th recruit class, according to the police union's journal from that month. In 2011, he was awarded the Bronze Medal of Valor and given $500 by the police department. Ah, but, you know, he must have really needed that money because last year he was paid a total of $132,575. Uh, all right. In July 2013, August was one of six officers who allegedly beat a handcuffed man for almost four minutes until his ankle was broken, according to court documents in a pending federal civil rights case against August. The man, David Lloyd, was leaving a Bayview grocery store while several plainclothes officers were searching a man in front of Lloyd's bicycle. Police tried to keep Lloyd away from his bicycle while they searched the man, but Lloyd wanted to get home. That's when August arrived in uniform and allegedly slammed Lloyd onto the ground after telling him to back up, handcuffing him. August and the other officers then allegedly began to kick and punch Lloyd, fracturing his ankle, injuring his knee and back, and bruising and scratching his body. Police tried to charge Lloyd with resisting arrest, but the district attorney's office dismissed the charges according to court documents. Winston Cito. Cito has been with the department since February 2008. City records show in 2013. He's mentioned in the police union journal as an officer who tracked down uh, with a suspect in a vicious beating over a phone. Last year, he was paid $154,321. 
On December 30th, 2013, Cito raised his gun during an officer-involved shooting, but didn't fire at the suspect at 19th Avenue and Terrell Street, who police were chasing... According to the district attorney's office, the suspect ran over Cito's foot during the pursuit with a Dodge Challenger. Another officer eventually fired at the suspect once in self-defense but struck the vehicle, which the district attorney's office decided was reasonable. The suspect later crashed the car and was arrested. So there is uh, some background on folks who there is video footage uh, they show of murdering uh, someone who is walking away from them. And uh, uh, it's it's interesting how many folks there are who will be out there defending you know they automatically assume that if someone gets hurt by the police that somehow they deserved it and i think that's really 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 disgusting um so i also wanted just to credit the authors of this uh this article and that was uh, jonah owen lamb and michael barba and this is from again from the san francisco examiner and i'll play some more music and then we'll be back with some more news Shot for his brutality. Who do you blame? It's a shame because the man slain. He got caught in the 
can I feel guilty after all the things they did to me? Sweated me, hunted me, trapped in my own community. One day I'm gonna bust, blow up on this society. Why did you lie to me? I couldn't find a trace of equality. Worked me like a slave while they laid back. Homie, don't play that. It's time I let them suffer the payback. I'm trying to avoid visible contact. I can't hold back. It's time to attack Jack. They got me trapped. Somewhere safe to stay, can't use the phone Cause I'm sure someone's tapping in Did it before, ain't scared to use my gad again I look back in hindsight, the fight was irrelevant But now he's the devil's friend Too late to be telling him He shot first and I'll be damned if I run away Homie is done away, I should've put my gun away I wasn't thinking, all I heard was the ridicule Girlies was laughing too, saying damn homie dissing you Fired my weapon, started stepping in the hurricane I got shot, so I dropped, feeling the burst of pain Got to my feet Nothing but bloody blood Now I'm a fugitive To be hunted like a murderer Ran through an alley Still looking for my getaway Now I say free Or you'll be dead today Trapped in a corner Dark and I couldn't see the light Thoughts in my mind Was the nine and a better life What do I do? Live my life in a prison cell? I'd rather die Than be trapped in a living hell They got me trapped And welcome back. That was Tupac with Trapped. So there's a couple more articles um, on police brutality that are in the Examiner recently. I encourage folks to go in and check them out. One is SFPD sergeant on duty amid allegations of sexually harassing and threatening black suspects. And that was written by Michael Barba. And that came out today, early this morning. And there's another article from uh, Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez about how it's pretty terrible that uh, so in th- in the midst of all this uh, th- the shooting um, people are calling on Chief Greg Sir to uh, hold these officers accountable and he's been like no they were defending themselves even though the guy was walking away and so Ed Lee has now said oh yeah let's give him tasers because tasers are still fucking weapons they're still weapons and they can still be used to hurt people however there's this idea that oh they're you know, less harmful than guns. Um, so it, it's still at the end of the day, it's you're, it's like replacing, you're replacing guns with another weapon. Not even replacing them. If you were going to get rid of guns altogether and put in tasers, okay. But that's still not going to change the necessarily the behavior. Um, maybe the outcome, fewer people would die? No. Uh, it's not, not, 
it's not going to change the be the behavior, and that's what people are really uh, looking towards. So I also want to just direct folks to another article, and again, that's from the San Francisco Examiner by Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez, and that came out December 8th. Uh, Shields for SFPD are not enough. Culture of killing must change. Put away your pom-poms. Silence your chairs. So I recommend folks go check that out. Um, I'm going to read. Um, there's just always a lot to get to. I have difficulty choosing exactly what stories to get to, and there's also so much, and then do I spend a lot of time on one uh, topic or go to others, and I like doing a lot of different things that are going on and trying to find patterns and trying to connect everything, and just also there's so much uh, that needs to be said. So that's why I'm directing folks to these other articles, and then I'm going to read a little bit from a, um, from Carl Dix, who's from the Stop Mass Incarceration Network, and this is um, from a speaking... A, a, uh, he was speaking in Baltimore, so I wanted to read um, what he uh, said at this event, and uh, this also will encapsulate a little bit of what, or a lot of the other, everything that we're talking about, and that's the thing, is to, to find out how everything kind of works together and how to dismantle the system and to stand against it and see what we can do in our in our own ways. So Carl Dix of the Stop Mass Incarceration Network, and this was us speaking in Baltimore after the indictment of the cops who killed Freddie Gray. Carl Dix says, I want to start out with a chant. It's a chant that you that you're going to have to learn and use and uh, use as a checklist. Indict, convict, send those killer cops to jail. The whole damn system is guilty as hell. <coughs> Once more, indict, convict, send those killer cops to jail. The whole damn system is guilty as hell. Okay, you got to remember that because they did indict those cops, right? But that's just one step. Let's talk about why they indicted those cops. This is not their system working. This is their system showing its fear of you. They saw you stand up. They saw you saying, not this time. They hear you saying, no more. So they said, well, maybe we should indict, and maybe they'll go home, and maybe they'll forget about it, because I've seen it around a while. I have seen them a few times indict killer cops, but I haven't seen them convict too many killer cops. I have not seen killer cops go to jail. You gotta stay on the case like that. You gotta fight through to make this happen. That's a responsibility that you gotta take up. I'm gonna be working on it with you. I'm gonna be coming here. I'm gonna be telling people around the country to stand with you. But you got the ball on your shoulders. You gotta make that happen. So that's the checklist part. But what about the whole damn system is guilty as hell? I'm not kidding, sisters and brothers, because it's not just that cops kill us. They do. They are. But that's a concentration of an overall program of suppression that includes mass incarceration. That's why Cornell West and I formed the Stop Mass Incarceration Network, because they should not be warehousing our people in prison. And that's what they're doing. Warehousing them in prison. And it's in their system that's doing it. They take the jobs out of the communities. They gear the education system to fail our youth. They got nothing for them except cops that patrol the neighborhoods like an occupying army. Except cops, except courts that railroad them into prison and treat them like permanent suspects, guilty until proven innocent, if they can survive to prove their innocence. So as we fight for justice for Freddie Gray, we gotta recognize that it's bigger than Freddie Gray. Look at the Stolen Lives poster. These are just some of the victims killed by the cops, but it's bigger th still than that. There's two million people, mostly black and Latino people, that they warehouse in their prisons. 
and there's tens of millions of people who are being treated like permanent suspects, their lives caught up in this criminal injustice system. We need a movement standing up and saying this must stop as well, and you gotta be part of that as well. That's why we formed the Stop Mass Incarceration Network. But now we gotta ask a serious question. Why does this keep happening? How long are we gonna have to suffer this? And I will tell you, sisters and brothers, things do not have to be this way. We should live in a world where those who are entrusted with public security would sooner lose their own lives than kill or injure an innocent person. We should live in that kind of world. We should live in a world where women are treated as full human beings. That's right, the sisters are cheering on that, and the brothers should be cheering too, because this is real and important. Full human beings, not sex objects and punching bags. We should live in a world that protects the environment, not destroys it. To bring that world into being, I'm going to tell you, sisters and brothers, it's going to take revolution, nothing less. And the Revolutionary Communist Party, which I'm a representative of, and its leader, Bob Avakian, we exist to make that kind of revolution. We got the leadership for it and the strategy for getting ready and into position to make a revolution when the time is right. But we got to get organized. If you see people with the revolution uh, nothing less t-shirt, get with them. Get hooked up with this movement for revolution. If you see people with the Stolen Lives poster handing it out, get organized with them with the Stop Mass Incarceration Network. We have to be organized. It's not going to be a thing of a few unconnected people who are going to do this. It's not going to just happen. We have to make it happen. Ain't going to be no savior in D.C., whether it's a black president or a female president. If they, the head of the empire, they're not serving our interests. They're serving the empire that has beat us down, murdered us, ever since they dragged the first African here in slave chains. So I'm going to wind up, wind this up, but remember, get organized, get with this movement for revolution, go to the website that's on this poster, www.revcom.us, go to the mass, go to the Stop Mass Incarceration Network website, find out how to get involved, and one last thing, this is about getting free. Freedom is not a spectator sport. It requires your involvement. Indict, convict, send the killer cops to jail. The whole damn system is guilty as hell. Revcom.us. And again, these are words from Carl Dix of the Stop Mass Incarceration Network. Um, all right. Whew. Very well said. All right. I'm going to put on some more music, and then we'll be back with... Yet, some more, uh, whew, some more stories. All right. Well, um, we want to do a poem for one of our unfavored people, uh, who's now the head of the uh, Nixon campaign. He was formerly the attorney general named John Mitchell. Uh, Nixon's campaign seems to be out, you know, getting off on a rather hip foot after his trip to China in the name of peace. Uh, while they were killing people right across the street, so to speak, in uh, North and South Vietnam. But um, No Knock, the law in particular, was allegedly um, <laughs> legislated for black people rather than, you know, for their destruction. And it means simply that authorities and members of uh, the police force no longer have to knock on your door before entering. They can now knock your door down. It's No Knock. <laughs> 
explained it to me, I must admit, but just for the record, you were talking shit. Long rap about no not being legislated for the people you've always hated in this hellhole that you, we, call home. No knock, the man will say, to keep that man from beating his wife. No knock, the man will say, to protect people from themselves. No knocking head, rocking, into shocking, shooting, cussing, killing, crying, lying, and being white. No knock. No knocks on my brother Fred Hampton, bullet holes all over the place. No knocks on my brother Michael Harrison, jammed a shotgun against his skull. For my protection, who's gonna protect me from you? The likes of you, the nerve of you, to talk that shit face to face, your tomato face, deadpan, your deadpan, deadening another freedom plan. No knocking, head rocking, into shocking, shooting, cussing, killing, crying, lying, and being white. But if you'll tell your no-knocking lackeys, ha, no knock on my brother's head, no knock on my sister's head, no knock on my brother's head, no knock on my sister's head, and double lock your door, because soon someone may be no-knocking, ha, ha, for you, no knock, to be slipped into John Mitchell's suggestion box. All right, and that was Gil Scott Heron with No Knock. Oh, moving along here. Uh, we have a story from Euronews, and that is UN experts find level of discrimination against women in U.S. shocking. Um, as someone who spent, I spent 27 years of my life, uh, I guess, identifying, being identified as, uh, being read as, being socialized as female, this comes as no surprise. Also, if you haven't had that experience, if you listen to any of your female friends uh, even speak about the just the daily goings-on of sexism and misogyny in this culture, it's fucking ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Um, again, one of the reasons I had to walk away from a conversation last night. Uh, someone said something, it was... I, I couldn't even... And I like to be able to be present and then to like have a conversation and a discussion and to hold people accountable for their words. And sometimes things are so obscene and disgusting and maybe even just confused i think that's probably where like some people just come from it's either just it's confused and they don't i guess they don't mean to be offensive or they're just repeating something they heard or they're not they're not really engaged in critical thinking and there's so much misogyny it's just so commonplace that it's like people it's not questioned a lot of men don't question it at all and they take part in it and then a lot of us who do want to challenge it, sometimes it's like, I get, I totally understand and I've experienced, sometimes I will engage and sometimes I just need to leave, leave the premises and I, I hate that and whew, working on that, really working on that. So for the folks out there who, uh, not that one needs validation to even, uh, maybe, I don't know, validation can be very, very helpful, but I think sometimes it's easy to feel like, is it just me, or is, are the, are the cards stacked against me, or are people, people's perceptions uh, really oppressive and mean and hurtful? And then, then you have these studies done, so it, kind of, it feels kind of silly because there's obviously enough, you know, personal, enough personal accountability to, to say that, yeah, people are not treated fairly. Um, yet a lot of it's silenced and i think for for misogyny it's really like it's so pervasive in our culture that people just ignore it and i think the media a lot of the time most of the time makes it worse 
and in some respects, some tiny respects for a minute part of the population of women, for some women, it's getting a little bit better, but overall, not so much. And women are not portrayed very well in the media, in a lot of movies and TV, and in billboards and advertising, and it makes things worse. And then there's a the whole thing with uh, reproductive rights, right? Because uh, it's easier to get gay married than it is to get an abortion in this country. So we're all the gay men arguing for for women's rights and of course I've met some of the most misogynist people I've met have been gay men that's another story for another time another stories for other times anyway moving on so I'll get to this story uh, the UN experts uh, experts agree that the level of discrimination against women in the US is shocking and this comes from Euro News and it's written by Dr. Stefan Grobe and this came out on December 14th the discrimination against women in, in the United States is worse than in most developed countries, according to findings of a United Nations expert group. The U.S., and I'm going to just in, cut in here because I can. Uh, I had a roommate back in New York City who, uh, she was a photographer for the U.N., and she said the sexism while working at the U.N. was intolerable. She just said, like, every like every day she'd come home, there's just something, a comment or an action by one of her coworkers. So even at the UN, uh, there's a lot of misogyny. So putting that in perspective, uh, just how terrible sexism is for the folks who might not uh, want to acknowledge it. Moving onwards, okay. The U.S., which is a leading state in formulating international human rights standards... <laughs> Uh, is allowing women to lag behind, said the human rights monitors composing the UN expert group on the issues of discrimination against women in law and in practice at the end of an official visit to the country. Uh, the preliminary report, which will be released in full to the UN Human Rights Council next year, described an overall picture of women's missing rights. The mission uh, examined the conditions for women in areas like economic and social life, access to health care, reproductive health and rights, as well as women's safety. Where all women are the victims of these missing rights, women who are poor belong to Native American, Afro-American, and Hispanic ethnic minorities, migrant women, LBTQ women, Women with disabilities and older women are disparately vulnerable, the, one, the experts stressed. Speaking to reports, reporters in Washington after the conclusion of a 10-day visit to Alabama, Oregon, Texas, and Washington, D.C., the U.N. monitors called some of the findings shocking and myth-shattering. In the U.S., women constitute nearly half of the labor force at a participation rate of 57% and have been an important factor in driving the last decades of the country's economic growth. Yet, the U.N. Uh, experts voiced concerns that this crucial labor force participation by women is not accompanied by equal economic opportunity. 
Furthermore, we are shocked by the lack of mandatory standards for workplace accommodation for pregnant women, postnatal mothers, and persons with care responsibilities, which are required in international human rights law. The gender wage gap is more than 20%, affecting women's income throughout their lives, another reason to take down capitalism, uh, increasing women's pension poverty. Again, women's earnings differ considerably by ethnicity. Afro-American, Native American, and Hispanic women have the lowest earnings. Another severe problem, according to the UN monitors, is wage theft particularly in manufacturing, construction, and some service jobs. This impacts low-income and migrant workers, in particular undocumented women. In addition, the U.S. is one of only two countries in the world, the other being Papua New Guinea, without mandatory paid maternity leave for all women workers. This is unthinkable in most other societies, said Francis Reday, one of the UN monitors. Paid maternity leave is only provided in three states, California, uh, New Jersey, and Rhode Island, and in federal government employment. But it is just for six weeks. (laughs) You can't raise a baby in six weeks. It's just for six weeks, which is beneath the international minimum of 14 weeks. Perhaps the most stunning revelations is the sharp increase in maternal mortality rates in the U.S., according to the human rights experts. The ratio went up by 136% between 1990 and 2013. (sighs) These numbers also hide distressing ethnic and socioeconomic disparities. Afro-American women are nearly four times more at risk to die in childbirth, the report says. The expert group cautioned that U.S. women face ever-increasing obstacles to accessing reproductive uh, health services, both as a result of legislative restrictions in many states and because of violent attacks on abortion clinic staff and patients. We witnessed the intimidation and harassment in our visit to clinics in Alabama and Texas, the expert said. Indeed, just before their arrival in the U.S., a gunman killed three people at a Planned Parenthood family planning center in Colorado. But what is most distressing is that there's almost no political willingness, but rather opposition to improve the situation. The chances that change will work its way through the country's legislature are slim. Women hold less than 20% of congressional seats and their representation in state legislatures varies widely between 13% and 46% with an average of just below 25%. This represents the highest level of legislative representation ever achieved by women in the U.S. However, it still places the country at only 72 in global ranking. Oh, good, good grief. All right. Well, with that, I'll play, a, as I mentioned before, the theme of the day is uh, police brutality. So play a song uh, written by and sung by a woman. This is uh, Sinead O'Connor.
And welcome back. Oh, got some more news stories. As promised, we will end on a positive note. Or positive is just, uh, there is a, well, well, we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, so coming up next, uh, 
as I was saying, I was cleaning up the the few uh, items that I have, and I do hold on to a few papers, and that I I do like to share. So this is from Amnesty International, and this was an interview with Chelsea Manning, and this is from December 2014. So this is a couple years ago, um, but a lot of it is as we've one theme is that uh, things even that were said a long time ago, not long time ago. However, uh, just because it happened a while ago doesn't mean it's not still very true and doesn't mean a lot of things bear repeating. So this is why speaking out is worth the risk. Question. Why did you decide to leak documents about the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan? And Chelsea says, these documents were important because they relate to two connected counterinsurgency conflicts in real time from the ground. Humanity has never had a record to this complete and detailed of what modern warfare actually looks like. Once you realize that the coordinates represent a real place where people live, that the dates happened in our recent history that the numbers are actually human lives all with all with all the love hope dreams hatred fear and nightmares that come with them then it's difficult to ever forget how important these documents are and next uh, why did you think the consequences might be for you what did you think the consequences might be for you personally and Chelsea says, in 2010, I was a lot younger. The consequences felt very vague. I expected the worst possible outcome, but I didn't have a strong sense of what that might entail. But I expected to be demonized and to have every moment of my life examined and analyzed for every single possible screw-up that I've ever made, every flaw and blemish, and to have them used against me in the court of public opinion. I was especially afraid that my gender identity would be used against me. What is it like to feel the full force of the U.S. justice system and be presented as a traitor? And Chelsea says, It was particularly interesting to me to see the logistics involved in the, in the prosecution, the stacks of money spent, the gallons of fuel burned, the reams of paper printed, the lengthy rolls of security personnel, lawyers, and experts. It felt silly at times. It felt especially silly being presented as a traitor by the officers who prosecuted my case. I saw them out of court at least a hundred days before and during the trial and developed a very good sense of who they were as people. I'm fairly certain that they got a good sense of who I am as a person too. I remain convinced that even the advocates that presented the treason arguments did not believe their own words as they spoke them. Next, many people think of you as a whistleblower. Why are whistleblowers important? In an ideal world, governments, corporations, and other large institutions would be transparent by default. Unfortunately, the world is not ideal. Many institutions begin a slow creep toward being opaque, and we need people who recognize that. I think the term whistleblower has an overwhelmingly negative connotation in government and business, akin to tattletale or snitch. This needs to be addressed somehow. Very often policies that supposedly protect such people are actually used to discredit them. And uh, what would you say to somebody who is afraid to speak out against injustice? First, I would point out that life is precious. In Iraq in 2009 to 2010, life felt cheap. It became overwhelming to see the sheer number of people suffering and dying and the learned indifference to it by everybody around me, including the Iraqis themselves. That really changed my perspective on my life and made me realize that speaking out about injustices is worth the risk. Second, 
in your life, you are rarely given the chance to make a difference. Every now and then, you do come across a significant choice. Do you really want to find yourself asking whether you could have done more 10, 20 years later? These are the kind of questions I didn't want to haunt me. And the last question, uh, why did you choose this particular artwork to represent you? And there's a, a artwork that's not on this flyer and we're on the radio, so I can't really show it. Um, but Chelsea says, and I think it's a picture, uh, picture of her. Oh yes. Yes. Um, it's the closest representation of what I might look like if I was allowed to present and express myself the way I see fit. Even after I came out as a trans woman in 2013, I have not been able to express myself as a woman in public. So I worked with Alicia Neal, an artist in California, to sketch a realistic portrait that more accurately represents who I am. Unfortunately, with the current rules at military confinement facilities, it is very unlikely that I will have any photos taken until I am released, which parole and clemency notwithstanding might not be for another two decades. Um, so there we go. There's reasons right there from the source of why speaking out is worth the risk. And we're certainly grateful that Chelsea did indeed speak out. So coming up next, I'm going to go to a story written by a comedian, uh, Nato Green. And this was in the examiner, um, very recently. And it, I can see that where the title might make some folks uncomfortable, and I think that's all the more reason to read it, because it made me a little bit uncomfortable at first, too. And then I read it, and I was really very glad it was written, and it really um, pointed out a lot of important facts uh, here, uh, just in terms of people's behavior, and here in San Francisco especially, which I definitely think... uh, I understand the idea of getting it back to a sanctuary city, and I feel like that's really lost. Even as someone who has, you know, been here for only a few years, even my times have been here um, prior to that, and from speaking to people who used to who have been here for long periods of time, even in since even in the last few years, it's changed dramatically, and it's such a shame to see see a shift. It's not only the loss of the sense of sanctuary where people feel welcome and people can afford to live here and like artists and teachers and elderly, et cetera. It's um, what that's replaced with. It's not just the fact that people have been evicted, but then it's been, been replaced with, uh, and I feel myself kind of, you know, you kind of end up becoming like the people that you hang out with and the environment that you're in. One can't help but let that um, take over in a way. And I feel that in my own behavior. I don't know if it's just me getting older and maybe more, more jaded or unfriendly, certainly, but if you're out and about and you feel pushed around or if you feel unwelcome in place or I can only speak for myself if I feel unwelcome in places if I feel people are kind of snotty and snobby to me or putting me down or just won't even look me in the eye I definitely try to make an effort of looking people in the eye certainly um I would say if that's what you're if that's what one is around it becomes really hard to break out of that if that's the, like the dominating culture, that's really hard to break out of. So I feel like it's a loss on two fronts. Well, it's a loss on many fronts. It's a loss on the fact that there's not just this place where everyone can kind of feel welcome and feel safe. And, and I don't want to like look through through rose-colored glasses because I recognize that every city at every time has had its its issues certainly. Um, but that seems to be a sense I've gotten from talking to a lot of people who have lived here for a really long period of time, is that that's. It, that San Francisco is no, is no longer here. There's not that sense. And the sense that I've gotten is just that it feels unfriendly. Um, I feel safer and happier when I'm in, in Oakland and in, in the East Bay. And that partially has to do with the people I meet there and the activities and the arts that I, that I, that I go to over there. Here in the, the city, there's a sense of uh, 
cold, I guess is one adjective I'd use to describe it, and distant. And uh, there definitely are some places and definitely people like, you know, people here who are wanting to hold on to that and are kind and are warm-hearted and are working to make things better. And still, though, as far as meeting strangers goes or, or seeing people just walking down the street, and of course this is not, I'm making a generalization, so, you know, feel free to poke holes in that. Uh, it It's... Uh, I walk down some of these streets and it's like people don't look me in the face and people are on their phones and there's just this kind of sense of entitlement I, I feel and uh, there's that part of me that's like upset by that and then also not wanting to take on that behavior and to emulate that and I think that's really uh, important to one has to look at one's own behavior and not wanting to emulate the uh, this kind of Stockholm syndrome where it's like, oh, I'm surrounded by all these assholes. And then it's like, wait, am I becoming an asshole? Am I an asshole? Am I taking on their their behaviors? Because that's not good. I don't want to do that at all. So I think that's, that's really important. And that is going to lead up to our next story. And so oh, once again, this is from The Examiner, and it is written by Nato Green. And... Uh, the title of the article is Most of Us Are Nazis, and this came out on uh, December 13th. And uh, the, 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 underneath the title, there's a lot of talk on the internet that Donald Trump is the next Adolf Hitler. If that's true, then most of us are Nazis. All right, now listen to this. Oh, keep an open mind, my friends. Uh, my Facebook feed lately is evenly split be- between Donald Trump, the police murder of Mario Woods, in the Bayview, and the uh, tardigrade gifts, as if the first two aren't separated at birth. I have met the enemy, and it is us, white San Francisco. Trump articulates a vulgar ideology, which other GOP presidential contenders prefer to dog whistle. It engages a popular base defined by white bitterness, but that base only flourishes in an environment of white, smug obliviousness. That's where San Francisco excels. We love nothing more than feeling morally superior to our ignorant relatives elsewhere. Our virtue is so undeniable that it requires no action to manifest. There's a continuous line stretching from Donald Trump wanting to ban all Muslims and deport all Mexicans back to a rehabbed Victorian in Hayes Valley. That line runs through phones built in Asian sweatshops, vegetables picked by Mexican migrants, and black families who were evicted to make way for progress. Overt bigotry finds roof finds root in milder manifestations of white supremacy like those cops felt threatened or clean up that neighborhood i use next door or it's the market at work we can't pretend trump is a problem that begins east of the 680 when san francisco police department just executed mario woods in the bayview chief greg sir said the officers felt threatened obviously if you bring a gun to a knife fight someone is getting shot I'm sure they were facing an urgent threat to their authority by a black guy who didn't obey. SFPD gets away with disproportionately killing and arresting black and brown people, losing crime data, and sending racist texts. Even a whiff of accountability for the death of a person is met with threats from the POA brass. 
Mayor Ed Lee's and Sir's solutions are tasers and shields. Any reforms are meaningless without actual consequences for cops who kill people. The mayor wants a new jail for a majority black inmate population, most of whom are awaiting trial and can't afford bail, while the black population citywide sinks towards 3%. If we have $215 million for a new underutilized jail to replace our current antiquated jail for black people, we should simply give the money to black people. Instead, the last black neighborhood in San Francisco is jail. San Francisco values indeed. We're so tolerant. We tolerate mass displacement of communities of color, gilded age inequality, and unaccountable violent police. San Francisco is the velvet glove to the Republican iron fist. San Francisco even supplied the technology for Trump's ascendancy. He has 5.18 million followers on Twitter, our flagship local beneficiary of taxpayer subsidies. Twitter's clickbaitable empire is perched atop a decided lack of enthusiasm for discouraging harassment, death threats, and hate speech. Typical Twitter narcissist, he follows 48 people, 25 of whom are his employees. He is a warborous, the self-devouring serpent. If even 3 million of his followers on Twitter are followers in real life, that may make Trump more popular in the U.S. than ISIS is in the Middle East. It's enough to destabilize our region. Thanks, Twitter tax break. The internet is buzzing with comparisons of Trump to Adolf Hitler. If we truly think we're in a proto-fascist moment like Germany in the 30s, and we're brutally honest, then most of us are Nazis. I know I said that meter maid was like Hitler, but I mean, I mean it this time. The implication is that we should resist the next Hitler. Nah, when mine Trump arises, we won't join the French resistance or the Warsaw ghetto uprising. We're not Schindler or inglorious bastards saving Jews and killing Nazis. Fascism doesn't need everyone to goose step the Wehrmacht, merely not to rebel. We're, we'll be hiding at home, Netflix and chilling, waiting for the storm to pass. As a city, right now, we find it effortless to ignore horrors inflicted on people of color mere blocks away. Why would we behave differently if in President Trump's America? <sighs> so. <sighs> All right. Um, going to take a break. Um, this next song's... Uh, cover actually and uh gonna step out of line with the uh the police brutality got some more songs on that but this is a cover uh disturbed doing a uh, sound of silence
Welcome back. Again, that was Disturbed with a cover of Simon and Garfunkel's Sounds of Silence. Uh, so I talk about different, uh, a lot of different stories here. I, I had an idea of how to introduce the story. And uh, I have a lot of good friends that are librarians, and they're awesome people individually. And then also the fact that librarians are so necessary in our society. So here's a story going out to all the librarians out there fighting the good fight. This is from The Guardian. And... Uh, this is written by Allison Flood, and this came out uh, yesterday, Wednesday, December 16th. 
Librarians take legal battle against library closures to government. Department for Culture, Media, and Sport challenged over its failure to carry out legal duty of providing quality public library services. Shaking off their traditional reputation as lovers of peace and quiet, librarians are preparing to take a loud battle for Britain's libraries to the door of the culture secretary. The Chartered Institute of Library and Information Professionals, SILIP, uh, C-I-L-I-P, is challenging the government over its failure to carry out their legal duty to the public and keep branches open. It is urging the government to abide by the 1964 couldn't have made that up. Interesting. Ooh, themes. 1964 Public Libraries and Museums Act, which states that the public has a statutory right to a quality public library service in the wake of cuts to hundreds of library services across the country. And I'm taking note here. Um, I When I immediately saw this headline, I assumed it was about uh, the librarians here in the States. So... I guess libra libraries, uh, just to know that's happening in Britain too, it's it's not necessarily reassuring. Um, however, to we can uh, take some action and be inspired by these folks. All right, continuing on. We've had enough. We've marked our line in the sand here. The government is behaving as if it doesn't have a duty of care, and they do, under the law. We think it's time to be clear about what that means, said Nick Poole, the chief executive of CELIP after it was announced that more than 100 library branches were shut last year and as further branches up and down the UK face closure. CELIP, which has received legal advice from human rights barrister Eric Metcalf of Monk Moncton Chambers say that while the government regularly claims that the provision of this comprehensive and efficient service is down to local authorities to determine this is not the case and it is not the legal duty of the Culture Secretary John Whittingdale to provide clear statutory guidance on the definition of a comprehensive and efficient service. Libraries, Silip said, are being put at risk through a combination of neglect, short-term thinking, and, a f and the failure of HM government to carry out their legal duty to the public. Fife is set to shut 16 libraries, a move described as disgraceful by the novelist Val McDermott, while Lancashire uh, Council plans to cut its library network from seven... Uh, 74 to 34. Jeez. CELIP, however, warned on Thursday that local authorities planning closures could be working against the law and urged them to hold off making changes until discussions with the Department for Culture, Media, and Sport conclude. Martin Wade, chair of CLIP's board, said that the librarian body's investigations had highlighted a disturbing lack of legally compliant guidance in the absence of which many local authorities have taken discretionary decisions about their services, which risk flouting the law. Under the law, the Secretary of State has a duty to maintain and improve the library service, said Poole, who will hold the government to account for these legal duties, including working with Whittingdale to provide a clear and meaningful statement of what a comprehensive and efficient library service entails for local authorities to follow. 
Pohl hopes to work with the government to define statutory guidance and then to work with local authorities to deliver it. The guidelines, he believes, should define the, lo the location and convenience of library branches, book stock, staffing, provision of services, and public programming. We're not unrealistic, but this is a matter of priority, Poole said. We can't sleepwalk into a situation where we lost 10, 15, 20% of our national library services. We're not going to allow it to go on any further. If it takes three months or three years, we don't care. We are going to slow the rate of closures we have seen over the last 10 years. If we don't act now, it will be too late. Sealift urged all authorities considering changes to their library services without statutory guidance to put their plans on hold pending the outcome of its discussions with the DCMS. -S. DCMS. Change is made to library services without references to an appropriate statutory guideline may not be lawful, not only under the 1964 Act, but also in respect of the requirements of the 2010 Equality Act, said Poole. The campaign, which will also see the launch of a petition calling on the government to fulfill their statutory obligations, and which has been dubbed My Library by Right by Silip, has was welcomed by Philip Jones, the editor of the bookseller magazine. The government needs to be held to account for, that's a theme, isn't it? The government needs to be held to account for its running down of the public library service. And this campaign nailed it, said Jones. This is a government that has consistently turned its back as library after library has been forced to shut its doors thanks to the funding decisions made by central government and then rolled out to local councils. Personally, I would go further than Silip's. Then Silip, it's not just access to libraries that is key, it is access to books, and it is this very necessary and priceless resource that generations have been built on that the government has placed in jeopardy. A spokesperson for the DCMS said libraries are cornerstones of their communities and continue to be a fundamental part of society. Local authorities have a statutory duty to provide a comprehensive and efficient library service, and we have the powers to ensure they comply with the law. Where individual authorities have failed to meet in this duty, we will and have intervened. Ha! Right on. Good for you, librarians, and hope librarians around the world uh, absolutely um, can. I, I would love it to live in a world where libraries, um, the opposite, that we have more libraries, and also that they're open 24 hours and staffed 24 hours. How great would that be? Because um, li uh, I just have a special place in my heart for libraries, and I know many other folks do as well. And if there are even more libraries, and if they're open longer, and uh, I was at a party recently. Oh, the Center of Sex and Culture may be having to move, which is a shame. Another place in San Francisco that may be having to relocate. And I met someone who had worked at the San Francisco Public Library, at the main office, main office, main branch of the San Francisco Public Library for a long time. And that's where a lot of like um, folks who are in between housing um, go and people who would don't have other places to go. And quite often as a librarian, they end up having to kind of provide social services or, and she was saying how it felt at times felt scary to be there. And that's what a lot of what libraries have become. It's, we need more spaces for people to get, first of all, we need people to be housed and to be given adequate medical and mental health care. Um, and then on top of that, uh, just to have the, you need to have more places for people to go, 
um, regardless of, of income. But people go there um, because it's warm and because it's free and they can use their services. And uh, it's that's what a lot of libraries, at least here in San Francisco, um, have become. And that says something about our culture, and that's even more of a reason to keep them open, is if they can provide a safe space for people. Um, uh, anyway, so since 1964 was mentioned, I'll go back to the Rod Serling quotes. Rod Serling's a, one of a hero, one of my heroes, and also his uh, his birthday is December 25th, and that's the only reason to celebrate that day, as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, moving on with some more of his quotes, uh, and this, of course, is from you know over uh it's like 50 years ago so and they're still very very real uh, extremists at both ends cannot generate campaigns of uh, vituperation against men and offices without being held accountable for the dis divisiveness and appeal to violence that are inherent in the kind uh, in this kind of approach also in some 186 years as a nation, 100 and, yes, 186 years as a nation, we have fought and won, well, won, that's, I could comment on pretty much everything. I pretty much do comment on a lot of things. Anyway, moving on. I uh, fought and won seven major wars. Oh, yeah, this is, yeah, this is pre-Vietnam. All right, uh, weathered the storm of three major economic upheavals and survived the onslaught of 100 demagogues ranging on the political spectrum from the insanity of the far left to the comparable insanity of the far right. We will remain a bastion of freedom. We will open our doors to the oppressed as we have always done. And ultimately, we will once again live in a time of sanity and peace. We have managed to survive everything. I'm certain we shall survive Robert Welch as well. Uh, okay, moving on. I was deeply interested in conveying what is a deeply held conviction of my own. This is simply to suggest that human beings must involve themselves in the anguish of other human beings. There we go. Some of these uh, hit more than others. Uh, this, I submit to you, is not a political thesis at all. It is simply an expression of what I would hope might be ultimately a simple humanity for humanity's sake. Next, they cannot set up anti-communism as the single criteria for patriotism and then discount the fact that sitting in their parlor are the Ku Klux Klan, the American Nazi Party, every racist group in the United States, and not a few of the same of, of some fascist orders that have scrabbled their way up from the sewers to a position of new respectability. <sighs> okay. Uh, oof, all right. So, yes, that's all, that's all a lot. I didn't issue a trigger warning before the show, and uh, apologies, uh, for, I'll belatedly do that. It's, oh no! I didn't get to everything. It's a lot, it's running out of time here. I didn't get everything, but I will end on a positive news story, as promised. So there's folks who are like protesting, there's a whole climate change business happening in France, and uh, depending on, They've been like arresting some activists there, um, accusing them of being violent, even though they haven't been. So that's something to to look into, and I encourage folks to to check that out as well. All right. So I promised I would, and I didn't get to any LGBTQ, although it's we're talking about intersectionality and uh, police definitely uh, target uh, folks in the queer community and have as well. So 
There's that. Um, okay, so I promised I'd end on a positive news story, and this is, I don't, and I definitely don't like the idea of prisons, and I think the idea of a justice system is ridiculous. However, occasionally when there is someone who's a huge asshole, an undeniable asshole who gets uh, caught, I think we can all take pleasure in that, right? Uh, some uh, schadenfreude uh, that's deserved uh, after this whole show. Um, I think you'll understand why after this uh, segment. So this uh, is from uh, Al Jazeera, America Al Jazeera, and this came out today. Uh, this is last night. Uh, I saw this story, and I was just like, okay, that's it's nice when people, uh, and not just people in positions of authority, but yeah, I guess people in positions of authority who, who are disrespectful and cause harm when they are called out and punished <laughs> uh, and just at least told to stop I think that's that's all we can just have them stop and but punishment all right I'm not gonna stand in the way of that price hike pharma boss Martin Skrell arrested on securities fraud CEO of Turing Pharmaceuticals sparked controversy after raising price of HIV drug uh, Daraprim to $750 a tablet from $13.50. Martin Skrell, a lightning rod for growing outrage over soaring prescription drug prices, was arrested by the FBI on Thursday after a federal investigation involving his former hedge fund and a pharmaceutical company he previously headed. The securities fraud probe of Shkrell, who is now chief executive officer of Turing Pharmaceuticals and Kalobios Pharmaceuticals, Inc., stems from his time as manager of hedge fund MSMB Capital Management and CEO of biopharmaceutical company Retrofin, Inc. A person familiar with the matter said... uh, (laughs) All right. A person familiar with with the matter said... Reuters witnessed the arrest at the Murray Hill Tower Apartments in Midtown Manhattan. Law enforcement, including Federal Bureau of Investigation agents, could be seen escorting Skrell, who was wearing a hoodie, into a car. FBI spokeswoman Kelly Langmesser confirmed Skrell's arrest. Shares of Calobios fell 53% to $11.03 in pre-market trading. Lawyers for Retrofin and Skrill did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Turing and Kalobios declined to comment. A privately held startup, Turing sparked controversy earlier this year after news reports that it had raised the price of Daraprim, a 62-year-old treatment for a dangerous parasitic infection, to $750 a tablet from $13.50 after acquiring it. Skrill, 32, was expected to be charged on Thursday for illegally using uh, retrofin assets to pay off debts after MSMB lost millions of dollars, the source said. The probe by federal prosecutors in Brooklyn dates back to at least January when Retrofin said it received a subpoena from prosecutors seeking information about its relationship with Skrell. That subpoena also sought information about individuals or entities that had invested in funds previously managed by Skrell, Retrofin said in a regulatory filing. MSMB Capital Management also founded, well, it's founded in 2009, and Skrell announced its closure in 2012. Retrofin was founded in 2012, and Skrell was its CEO until the company fired him in September 2014. Retrofin in August sued Skrell in federal court in Manhattan for $65 million, claiming he had used 
uh, his control over Retrofin to enrich himself and pay off claims of investors in MSMB, which he had also defrauded. Skrell has denied the allegations. At least two separate congressional probes have been launched in September on the pricing issues of uh, Daraprim, which had long been available as a generic drug used to treat toxoplasmosis in AIDS patients. Turing is under investigation by the New York State Attorney General for antitrust concerns. At a Senate hearing on drug pricing last week, a doctor who treats babies with life-threatening toxoplasmosis testified that a course of treatment with Daraprim went from about $1,200 to no less, holy shit, than $69,000. Earlier this month, reports emerged that Skrill purchased the solo copy of the Wu-Tang album Once Upon at time in Shaolin for millions of dollars after the rap group discovered the buyer was Skrell, they decided to donate some of the income. The sale was agreed upon in May, well before Martin Skrell's business practices came to light. Riza, a member of the group, told Bloomberg uh, Business Week magazine, we decided to give a significant portion of the proceeds to charity. Well, now I feel like I should end on a Wu-Tang song. So I'll be getting to that, but first there's one more police brutality. There's a lot, actually. There's a lot of songs out there um, about police brutality, so um, perhaps I'll get to them in upcoming weeks. So again, you've been listening to the Weekly Review, not usually on at this time. We're usually on at Fridays uh, from noon to 2 p.m. here at Mutiny Radio. You can listen to mutinyradio.fm. We'll be on iTunes soon enough in the future. Um, you can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash weeklyrev. I'm Roman Reimer, the host. And... Uh, so, yeah, I'll be out of town for a little bit. I plan to do at least one or two shows while I'm away and send them over because I can't help but, but just do it. just can't help but do the news. It's been uh, two years now, over two years. And uh, thanks, to everyone, for listening. I appreciate uh, folks who listen and who uh, stay aware of what's happening and take action and, you know, spread the word. So we'll find a, a Wu-Tang song to, to end on. But first off, we will hear a song that I heard about very recently. It's from a band called Propagandi. And uh, 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 I think this the song, the, the title is unfair to pigs because pigs are intelligent creatures. But uh, uh, I, I don't endorse that because I think pigs are lovable creatures. And perhaps when we describe human beings in positions of power who abuse their authority um, and need to be taken down, we can find other words to call them. All right, have a great few weeks, everyone, and take care of each other.
Well, um, we want to do a poem for one of our unfavorite people, uh, who's now the What's head of... What's name? My birthday, let's take it through. Drop me off. Drop me off, too. Drop us all off. We all go, man. We all go together. We all go get you off. I'm going home. Hold on, 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 hold Children at home, we gonna take it back underground. I be Bobby Bowden, who take plan on your mind one time. It's the jump off, so just jump off. My Holocaust from the land of the lost. Behold the pale horse, or cook. Follow me, Wu Tang gotta be the best thing since. African killer bees, black watch. On your radio, blowing out your watch. From Park Hill, the house of Haunted Hill. Every time you walk by, your back get a chill. Let's build, who want to talk about skill? I spit like a to the grill. Elbow grease and elbow room. Baby, play me, baby, fall down, go boom. Party people gather round, count down to apocalypse. I'm the kid with the golden arms. Don't front, you had it for a minute, but it seemed like a month. Now I'm choking, smoking, hoping I don't croaking from Hey kid, walk straight after When the left got you open, hope let's ride. Can't stand that floor's too much. Can't stand Bentley's, they cost too much. Kid wanna get up, you can't get touched. Kid wanna stick up, you can't get I'm the one that calls you bluff when your boy try to act tough. Remember what old dirty said, I'll listen. Styles extremists, forehead beamers run wild as the kid with the gold cup stepped out like what was popping in y'all. Don't want blasting, say, say, chocolate, saute, wrist color mocks, rock those all day. 1960s, them goldie. That's right, don't hold me. The world's greatest, Las Vegas paid his rock. Skin painted on my face, look ageless, perfect combos. Ghost bang out condos, Jeff from Homo, X, we bong those bank rolls. Then plain clothes, change those bang those, same old, same old. Step to my groove, move like this. When we shoot the gift, of course it's ruthless. Grab the mic with no excuses in a sec. Grab the to do this. Executing, shaking all sets. And now I'm breaking all hex. I'm taking all bets. Move on best. Who won't the drum hex? You won't stink, we got the bigger bank. Bigger th fill your tank, still the sink, reveal, ride your crank, slide, do or die, fry the bait, admire the grades, on fire with a heart of hate, bitter shark, give me part of take, heavy darts, it's okay, all fakes, get caught by the drop kicks, you know the thrill, yes, it's Park Hill, yo, we hit him with the hot grits, on the go, check the flow, singing woo don't rock, stop quick, hold the gossip, stop sweating my pockets, I hear the hot,
in the area and has served countless thousands in a variety of ways during its 45-year history. Fees have never been charged for any services, materials, medications, or supplies provided at